Thank you very much for joining us on Air Brooklyn, Andrew Kalish from uh, Downtown Brooklyn Partnership. Very interested to hear what exactly you do for the partnership, what you guys have been up to lately. So maybe we can just start off by talking about what DBP does in general for the neighborhood right. for our listeners who may not understand. Right. Well, DBP is about 11 years old or about to be, yeah, we just turned 11. We're an interesting organization. We're a not-for-profit economic development corporation that is an overarching organization on top of three business improvement districts. So there's a lot of bids out there. I think there's 60 plus, but we run three of them. So essentially the services that we provide to the community range from Court Street all the way over to Atlantic Avenue and then all the way to Barclay Center and then essentially Tillery Street over to Barclay Center as well. You've got Court Livingston, Metro Tech, Tech, Fulton Mall, and then then Metro Tech as of a year ago expanded to cover the Brooklyn Cultural District which is over by and the Atlantic Terminal and Mall which is over by Barclay Center. So we you know it's not that big of an area like footprint size it's, it's really only about half a mile but it's definitely the densest and fastest growing part of Brooklyn in the year 2000 I think there like 5700 people or something not right? even not I think even. it was in the hundreds right. like it wasn't in the thousands now um, we've got 30 now, yeah now we're going to be up there you know there's going to be 20,000 units of residential housing in it by 2020, and that's just what we know about, right? There's a lot of sites out there that could be developed further. This is the place where development should be because of the incredible transit infrastructure. There weren't a lot of residents here to begin with, so it's a good place to do this type of you know, dense residential and now commercial activity. So the organization, just to kind of sum that up, we do everything from cleaning the streets all the way up to very high level infrastructure policy analysis, economic development work, cultural work, all types of it. So we really run the gamut. So we, we have our eyes and ears always on the ground, but then we always think about big and the vision for the future of this community. So in terms of your specific involvement, you mostly focus on cultural issues? Well, I run a, I do a, a series. I wear many hats here as, you know, we're 16 to 20 people. So, you know, we all wear many hats, but my role really encompasses three primary projects and then a bunch of other stuff. So one is the cultural work. So not necessarily like culture, what kind of culture should we be, should we have in downtown Brooklyn, right? And But really about working with over in the Brooklyn Cultural District to kind of turn that into what was a plan into a reality. So I've been working with nine plus cultural organizations there, but then the 70 plus in the, in the kind of surrounding community, all the real estate developers there, the city, community groups, everybody can kind of see that through to fruition and also kind of create a brand identity for it and also governance structure for it so we can activate those incredible public places you know the partnership isn't about making culture or making art we have such incredible cultural institutions here so let them do it we'll help facilitate those interactions and just help but trust them but i also ran a project called culture forward which was our cultural plan 13 initiatives we got through many of them and that was really working with all the cultural groups to think about what's next Another role I have is I run all of our relationships with the tech community in Brooklyn and beyond. And so our idea is, you know, in Brooklyn, there's this incredible entrepreneurship community. There's incredible tech community. But where in Manhattan, you have a real kind of defined ecosystem, right, that's centered around the funders, like the venture capitalist. In Brooklyn, we don't have that same level of funders, right? We have a lot of angel investors. We have people who work at those funds. We have people that invest in those funds. And we do have some, you know, some venture capitalists ourselves, whether it's Charlie O'Donnell uh, with Brooklyn Bridge Ventures or, or JJ Casper at Blue Sea Collective. But we don't have the Union Square Ventures, right? We all have Hippo Lair. So we're trying to help be part of that kind of defined ecosystem 
for entrepreneurship here. So that's another thing I do. And then I think one of the most fun things I do is trying to get more restaurants and bars to downtown Brooklyn. I mean, you live here, you know, we have some great places and, and more every day, but for the size of this community, we don't have enough and we really need more of everything. So that's been a lot of fun to try and to try and make that happen. But and then all the other stuff that I do every day. <laughs> you really do wear many hats. There's so many things to talk about. We've got the cultural facets and then the tech entrepreneurship, creating that sort of tech hub between downtown Brooklyn and the other parts of this area. And then you've got the general development stuff. Right. Bars, restaurants, etc. Everything, right? Like just finding cool tenants to make sure these are these new office towers have people in them, mm. right? So let's start with the cultural stuff yep. in terms of the cultural district. Obviously, everyone knows about BAM. I mm-hmm. was just reading earlier about BAM Karen and various expansions around at the Ashland and then at the 300 Ashland Development right. Trees. That's really fascinating to see how BAM is just sort of mushrooming. Mm-hmm. What will that area look like in five years in terms of the various cultural institutions right. and the diversity of them? So let's, we can even, we don't have to go that far out. Let's talk about like the next year and then we'll talk about five years. So within the next year, uh, once construction on the Jonathan Rose building, I think it's the Caesura as it's being marketed today, um, that's on the corner of Ash. It's right across from 300 Ashland. So it's on the corner, it's right next to Mark Morris, Caddy Corner to BAM, Lafayette and Ashland. That's done, that's gonna kind of realize the, the, the current vision. So I'm actually at Rockwell Bears Community Garden. Right, of course, um, so then you yeah. have Rockwell, yeah. then Mark Morris, and right. then there's a new building that's, the construction fencing just came down right. and that should be being leased up by the end of the year. That's the one that you're- Yeah, so that's, that's Jonathan Rose, right. it's a 40-60, so 40% affordable, 60% market rate. But also what's really cool about it is Center for Fiction is moving from Manhattan, which is one of the top literary cultural institutions in New York City, if not the country. They're, they're setting up shop there. And Mark Morris is also getting more dance studios in there because they're going to go under, you know, break down some walls. So when it's all said and done, you're going to have nine cultural institutions in that three blocks. So BAM, Brick, Mark Morris, Theater for a New Audience, Mokata, that's moving into 300 Ashland. African um, diaspora. Music. Yep. Really yep. Fantastic. They're actually in our, our building right now, 80 Hanson, um, over on South Portland and Hanson Place. Okay. So that's where okay. their headquarters is. Okay. Um, we're going to have 651 Arts, which is a group that has been around, community group that's been around for a long time. Brooklyn Public Library, excuse in, me. At 300, 300 Ashland. 300 Ashland, yeah. Bam Rose Cinemas. When all that's done, you're going to have all these cultural groups. You're going to have over 2,000 units of housing in the area. About roughly 30% will be affordable all said and done, and that was before you know, mandated affordable housing rules. You're gonna have 50,000 square feet of new open space, including the steps at the 300 Ashland that just opened. We had our first concert there this past two weekends ago as the launch of our Culture Forward Festival. So we had the first public concert there. We had, I don't know, nearly 700 people come out. We, we partnered with Brick and their Jazz Fest. It was phenomenal, absolutely exciting. So it really showed the potential. And then, okay, so that's the culturals, right? And then you have all these people that are gonna live there, but we also have close to 300,000 square feet of Class A office space. So you're gonna have daily office workers over there. 41 Flatbush, the old ES uh, storage facility, is now gonna be a Class A office building. And Gimlet Media is opening up over there. Blick Art Supplies is opening up. Some real great retail. Then you're going to have all this new retail that was never there. So we already have the Gotham Market at the Ashland. So we have a great food food hall. BAM is redoing the Harvey, right? So they're going to put some food and beverage into there as well. You have Ladies that opened up. Of course, Whole Foods is opening in the Jonathan Whole Foods Road. 365. Whole Foods 365. Is that January or so? That's going to be uh, January. Apple is opening in February on the other side of I heard about that, but I'm trying to figure out. There's a garage. There's a parking lot at 300 Ashland. Yep. And someone told me that that 
there's like an entrance to the parking lot. Kind of looks like an Apple cube. Place. Right. So the Apple entrance is actually on the other side of the building facing South. the mall. Right, yeah, facing the terminal. So that's where they're kind of, it look, you know, 300 actually kind of looks like a ship, but like the bow of the ship where it kind of tapers there in. There are trees. There's a little small plaza. Right. right. There's okay. some food trucks over there. Mm-hmm. Right next to one Hanson place. That entrance. So Apple's in that kind of triangular. triangular. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's going yeah, to be opening up in November. So very exciting. Wow. Yeah, very next, soon. Next month. Next month. Holy smokes. Very exciting. And so you have all this, this kind of diversity of use. Then... You know, we're in the process of working with the Parks Department to rebuild BAM Park, which is on St. Felix, where Lafayette and Fulton intersect. That park has been neglected for over 30 years. It's been shut for the last 20. The partnership was able to secure money to design and rebuild it, so we're going through final approvals with the Parks Department now, and we're hoping to get in the ground early next year. It won't be a community garden, it'll just be a park. It'll be a legitimate New York City park operated by the Parks Department. So right, those fences will come down, you know, we've gone through the community board. We're very excited about it. The community's very excited about it because it gives them green space, right? Especially at a very, what will become an ever busier intersection. So that area is just going to be booming. It's going to be unbelievable. What was a donut hole for a very long time, right? BAM and a few of the other cultural organizations really held that together there. But now it's going to be a vibrant community in its own right. Mm-hmm. And then that's like in the next year. You're talking, then you talk two years out. You've got a couple more development parcels over there. Extension of Metrotech on Fulton, where the IRS and the DMV used to be probably the most hated Brooklyn building in Brooklyn, just because of the use. So that's going to be a new tower, some sort of office product. You have alloy development working on the other side of Flatbush, at 80 Flatbush. That is work. That's the 73-story one? That's the, the very tall one. Gibran school? Yes, exactly. All right. So there's going to be it's a... It's going to block our sunlight for the garden, so... Right? The trees we'll will adapt. Yeah. Um, there's great species that we can do that. some reflector. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get some kids from NYU Tandon right here to figure that out. Mm. But, you know, that site, which is so exciting about that site, is not only the amount of affordability that it offers the community, offering another school... Yeah. Offering another school, in addition to an expanded Khalil Gibran, offering a 10,000-square-foot cultural facility that they're going to gift... The old Khalil Gibran school, that they're going to turn into a cultural facility, that they're going to give away to a cultural organization. So what I read is that you try to place all the local developers on the boards of the cultural institutions. How is that working in terms of the resistance that developers get in this downtown Brooklyn community? Obviously, there's controversy. Of course. Obviously, there's issues with gentrification and people being pushed out. What is the impact of that strategy? Are cultural inf- institutions grateful that they have these developers participating? 100%. I mean, for two reasons. One, right, like getting board members is, is important for the cultural organizations. That's how it's, they sustain their operations. Funding. And funding and partnerships and all types of things. But then also these cultural organizations, especially BAM, used to be a destination, right? They had a BAM bus. They were busing people in from Manhattan. And now their patrons are living on top of them. You know, what was once a destination evening for someone to go to BAM, it's now just, oh, what's going on at BAM? Like, I I live down, it's right across the street. Let's go see something at BAM tonight, right? Let's go to a movie at BAM. Instead of making it a big deal, it becomes a piece of your day-to-day community, which they're very excited about. Because, again, they had to draw people here. And, yeah, they had the community support, but all of a sudden having 2,000 new units of housing, which probably puts about 3,000-plus people on top of you, that's great for a cultural organization, and especially because a lot of these buildings have ch- young families in them. You know, their kids programming are through the roof. 
the having these schools there is going to be there's going to be partnerships hopefully between the schools and the the cultural organizations. I mean, it really builds kind of a symbiotic community, which is what we're trying to do. It builds a real twenty four seven community here. So it's not just like a cultural institution that you have to go to. You're going to on a Saturday and you're getting dressed up for, but you can go on a Tuesday night. I mean, what Brick does on the steps with all the free programming they do day in day out on the steps every night. It's amazing. It becomes your living room. Yes. Yeah, yes, there's yes, something called a student. They do tons of free there's programming. There's a cafe right above Exactly. It, and then the galleries down there. Got it. So they do tons of pre free programming there every week. And so it becomes just sort of a, a stopover on your during your day. Oh, after work, I'm going to go to Brick. Oh, like I'm at home. I ate dinner. What's going on at Brick? What's going on at Bam? Maybe I'll go over to Le Perc space and get a drink before a show. Maybe I'll hear some jazz on a Tuesday night. Maybe I'll see a reading. And, you know, with the designs of all these new cultural institutions, they're really kind they're designed to be pedestrian friendly and kind of neighborhood friendly so it's not like oh I'm buying my ticket and I'm going in no it's this is massive community centered space that you can go in and enjoy things and participate in without ever having to go behind the ticket taker which is really exciting obviously a big supporter since I live in this neighborhood of having more the more cultural institutions the better, the better. But obviously there's a lot of baggage that comes with all the construction, so many buildings so fast, 100%. so high. What do you say to people who counter this development boom, say, oh my goodness, too many people, too much construction, too many, too much steel and glass? Hey, I was born and raised in New York City. My mom is from East New York. My grandmother was born in East New York. I'm a third generation, like, New York City kid. You know, I didn't grow up in the suburbs and now live here and say I'm a New Yorker, right? I'm, it's in my blood. New York is not about being a static place. It's a place that's designed to change, right? So you can, you can have tremendous attachment to that edifice across the street because you have great memories there, right? I don't think anyone has a tremendous attachment to the old NTA headquarters, but they will because now NYU. NYU. A student yeah. will remember that. And one day that building will come down, right? Another building will take its place. And you know what? Before your favorite little community place, like there was something else there that they pushed out. Once upon a time it was a farm, right? So it's like, you know, it's something we always have to think about is it's very important to embrace the heritage of a place. But we all saw what happened in the West Village, like historic character is important, but the West Village is the most expensive neighborhood in the United States of America now. And like, there's no affordability there and there never will be ever again. So I think the opportunity for in a place that has such dense transit such a place that, is, that already had tall buildings. Like, it was always tall buildings here. You have 16 Court Street. If you think about development, 16 Court Street, which is one of the most famous buildings in Brooklyn, is overbuilt. It blocks the current. from our roof, but it's a beautiful building. But it's a beautiful building, and it's beloved, and it's landmarked, but it is considered overbuilt by today's zoning envelope. It's overbuilt. Mm-hmm. That is bigger and taller than anything that should be built mm-hmm. now in this area today. I mean, that's something really to understand and think about. Like, a beloved building is considered too tall. The 16, and then is it 26, the one that's further down south? That's a, that's the, the Livingston building. The, there's the, the yes, layer cake building. now a condo. Right? Now a condo. Yeah. That's also overbuilt per right, the zoning right. code. So you're, looking the at, that... so you're looking at two gorgeous buildings that no one would ever question the historic value of them or, or their importance to Brooklyn are considered overbuilt. Hmm. And they're too tall for the neighborhood, for the community. Too, so it's, it's all a matter of perception, right? And I completely empathize and I understand that perspective, right? And I think everyone does, right? Because it's New York. Everyone puts hmm. on it what they want it to be. But, you know, at the end of the day is this city needs more housing. And the only way to satiate that demand is to build it. Hmm. And, you know, the only way for prices to come down is to build more of it. So what's going on right now with the amount of rentals? How can there possibly be enough people to live in all these new buildings? And are they able to pay? Are the prices going to come down because there's such a glut on the market? Look, I, I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to like comment on like the, the, what the, you know, if prices are going to come down or not. I, I would think you know, what you're seeing is the, the real estate developers are, are, seem to be fair, fine. 
with the apartments. Like, yeah, you're seeing incentives. You're seeing – I don't think you're going to see rent reductions. 13 months for 12. 13 months is. for 12. Yeah, I think you're seeing rents kind of staying put. You're also seeing you know, all types of people getting creative where the roommate's going into something which is classic New York, right? But I think the interesting piece is that you're seeing now condo products you know, opening up. I mean there's like nearly 1,000 condo units in development in downtown Brooklyn. Which is exciting because that, you know rentals are always a little bit more transient, but to have condos coming here, I mean, no one develops co-ops anymore, so that's what we said, condos, right? Owned residents. But that's exciting because that means people are going to live here permanently and not just move after a few years. They're going to raise their families here. They're going to really take ownership of the neighborhood as well, just as much as someone in Brooklyn Heights has over the years. There are definitely people that have lived here for a long time. They're very active and we're close with them. And mostly they're supportive of this because it has provided a lot of amenities for them, right? Especially on the restaurant front. There's always going to be a conflict in this city with development versus kind of neighborhood character. But I think downtown Brooklyn was always the commercial capital of Brooklyn. It was always a bustling, busy place. There was an L running down Fulton. You know, this was never like the bucolic brownstone community, right? That Cobble Hill, Brooklyn Heights, Fort Greene, keep going out was, right? So it makes sense for this to be the bustling, frenetic central corridor of Brooklyn. What I appreciate about downtown Brooklyn is that, first off, I'd much rather be running errands or going to this municipal office or going to this university institution or cultural, whatever, than in Central Manhattan, however you define it, probably, let's say, Midtown Manhattan. Yeah. much rather be walking around doing stuff in downtown Brooklyn than Midtown Manhattan. 100%. No comparison. No comparison. Um, but in the same way, downtown Brooklyn does bring together people from all parts of the borough. That's what's so unique about it. You know, like, again, someone who was born and raised in New York City, grew up here in the 80s when New York was a much different time, much different place. The diversity of downtown Brooklyn is its, is, is in its heritage, right? Like, the, yes, think about Fulton Mall. Think about Albee Square Mall. Like, what has happened there in the near-term history? Like, the birthplace of hip-hop in Brooklyn, right? Like, Albee Square Mall was the birthplace of hip-hop in Brooklyn. But you go beyond that. This was always a massive commercial court, um, furniture capital of Brooklyn. This is the banking capital of Brooklyn. This is the entertainment capital of Brooklyn. And today, it is still this incredibly diverse place. And that is something that we're really trying to, like, work hard to maintain because we don't want it to turn into 34th Street, right? Nothing wrong with 31st 4th Street, but that's like, you know, it's pretty, it's it's great place, it's busy, it's frenetic, but this is a really unique community. I actually remarked to someone the other day when I was giving them a tour of Fulton that it did look a little bit like 34th Street in some respects. There's obviously a conflict because you've got the old guard of stores that have the chain gates that come down, no lighting at night, old junkie signs, retail that's relatively low-rate kind of junkie. Then you've got the new stuff. It's like flossy, more bourgeois, <laughs> big chains. And you say, well, I want a unique neighborhood, and I want stores that are different. But at the same time, of course, you want stuff to get upgraded. You want nicer. And so there's this conflict between, oh, these are the folks who've been around for a while, but then some that. of the new ones are potentially lacking in taste or they're part of some larger chain franchise look i think the key there is you can have a mix of both the fulton mall the people that come and shop at the fulton mall whether they're community members or come from other areas of the city or brooklyn or all over the world there's a little something for everybody there the problem in today's environment is that it's sort of seen as the zero-sum game is that oh it's either going to be chains or it's going to be nothing and i think the fulton mall in downtown brooklyn proves that that's not the case is that you can have Folks that have been here for a long time, mom and pops, that like they serve a very distinct community. They're clearly affording the rent and they're doing fine. Yeah, if the rent, they can't afford 10x the rent, but they're they're jammed. People are going in there. They and do shop. a lot of business on Fulton. They Stores on Fulton, they see so much. They foot kill it. In and, out. and look, like you know, there's a there's a changing nature in the retail game. That could be a whole other topic of discussion, right. right? Whether it's the Amazon or e-commerce or whatever. 
there will always be a need for brick and mortar and people will always be served by going to a store. And that's why I think the Fulton Mall is so unique because you can have a Banana Republic outlet next to, you know, Ragamuffin, which is, I think, one of the best sneaker stores in New York City and one of the best street dogs. There's a reason why Dr. J's loves being on Fulton Mall. Like, there's a reason why Adidas opened up their mainline one of their shops here. Mm. And that's where they launched, you know, Kanye's shoes. They launched it here because they they knew that the sneakerhead customer was here. And there's a real value there to that group of people. And I don't think we were ever going to lose that because those mom and pops that are there or like sort of small chain mom and pop, local, like a Dr. J's, right, Ragamuffin. Those, those are important institutions for this community. And they've been here, Cookies, those guys have been here for a long time and they have huge audiences. And they're not going anywhere and I'm glad they're not. Because they, they can live us alongside a Zara. Like they can easily live alongside it. It's a symbiotic relationship. It really is. So what are you guys doing to promote more independent, avant-garde, hip stores, hip bars, restaurants, something like Livingston Manor as opposed right. to just your ordinary Irish pub. Or right. The Brownstone, or is that the bar that's up on Tillery and... Um, oh, yeah, the old, on the, the old, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, as opposed to those things, which you could be anywhere in New York or yeah. anywhere in the world, really. Look, I think the key is is that we celebrate everything that's here, right? So, and everything I think so far has found a place, like Livingston Manor has found a home for itself. There was Love no, place. It's, it's amazing. And Grand Army right across the street, like they're completely different and they're both jammed every night. Like they serve, a, I think they actually serve similar customers, but also completely different customers. And the thing is we need more of all of it. We don't just need, we need more independence, but then we also need some more value kind of chain that only a chain can provide, right? right? So like a, a just salad. That can live right next to Decal Market Hall, which has all it independence. It needs more salad, kind of healthier and Healthy-ish, options. as they like people to say. Have, people have mentioned that to me. And obviously there's amazing variety there. So much different Look, here's food. the deal with brands, and especially yeah. food. No one's a trailblazer. Chains aren't trailblazers. They're like, oh, I'm going to go in this up-and-coming neighborhood. No, they're going to make sure the neighborhood has their, has, can support their, whatever their model is. Like Sweet Green is a very specific model. Honey Grow seems to be doing great. Honey Grow's doing yeah. great. Um, Juice Shop on Adams is doing great. Some of these other places that have opened up recently, the new kebab place, the Donor Kebab on Willoughby, which is fantastic. Everyone should go eat it. The I know the one in next Decal to Buffalo. Well, there's a donor place. Yeah, that place, Berlin Berliner, Donor, yeah. is great. But there's another place right next to the Buffalo Wing Shop on Willoughby. Before as you're going, phenomenal food. This is his first location. He was he has a bunch of these in Turkey. He moved here. He's opening them up. He chose downtown Brooklyn I haven't even for a reason. Seen that yet. You got like Willoughby so good. Next to the Buffalo right next to it on your way to uh, Willoughby Plaza. I haven't even seen this. Place. So you know, the, I think the key here is that when it comes to retail, there's room for everybody, and I think the really unique aspect is, is there is this return to smaller format retail. You know, J Crew's not opening up any stores anytime soon, right? Like they're not like the those big massive stores unless you're a Zara. An H&M or an Apple, there's really not a lot there for you. And I also think the development community sees a huge opportunity here because they realize that retail lens are plunging a little bit and that they can kind of curate a really interesting retail experience because their residents want that. It becomes an amenity for the building, not just a checkbox in the bank. In terms of retail and mixing it up amongst the towers that are going up in the eastern half of sort of Skimmerhorn, Livingston, among all these high-rises, how are you going to get more retail in there, more bars, more restaurants? Well, I think what you're seeing, it's happening yeah. on its own. So TF Cornerstone, you know, they put a, they're putting a Devotion Coffee in there, 2,000 square foot coffee bar. Devotion Coffee is, is fantastic. In the, yeah, in right. the new TF Cornerstone building. 
Chelsea. That's the big one with like the balconies. It's yep. kind of like this shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's an L shape. Yep. Chelsea Piers is opening up in there. Fifty thousand square foot Chelsea Piers. That's incredible. Well, that building is a massive footprint. Massive footprint. Really. I think close to eight hundred units of apartments. Big building, but that does for the surrounding. That's amazing because now what they, I had a developer yesterday was saying they're looking at property right there because they want to be by Chelsea Piers. Ace Hotels going up. On Ace Hotels going there. there. So you know you you have look what happened in Nomad, right in the area mm-hmm. in Manhattan. You had Ace the Go, Ace Hotel, yeah. you had the Nomad Go, and now it's like the hottest retail strip, the, some of the best food places, startup foods. You know, you have Daily Provisions over there, you have Made Nice over there, you have Sweet Green over there, you have Dig In, you have, but then you have more local shops like General Green and Number Four. Somewhat analogous in the sense that that part of Skimmerhorn used to be lots of drug addicts and. Well, it used to be a tough neighborhood, people. right? You had a lot of, you know, you had a lot of clinics over there, a lot of, kind of social service agencies over there. That product is still there. But you also have a really interesting building stock over there, right? So those are kind of the more warehousey, quote unquote, like hip looking buildings. And because you start stepping down to where you hit to Brownstone, Brooklyn, it's a really unique corridor for people who want to live in access to kind of a central business district and that transit, but don't want to necessarily be in a 40 tower glass building. They want to be something a little lower scale. They want to sort of feel like they're more in Brownstone, Brooklyn than in down. So that's what's really unique about downtown is we have these like distinct neighborhoods within a block of each other. Right. And you can feel like you're in a different world. Skimmerhorn compared to State, compared to Atlantic, compared to Fulton. There's Completely. It's, and it's, a, it's four blocks. I mean, you can see straight right. down. It's a two-minute walk. And I think that's what's really unique. And people now can make their decision about living in the downtown Brooklyn based on the type of lifestyle they want. I want to live in the financial district. I want to live in Midtown West, Hell's Kitchen. They got that, like in the kind of Willoughby Fulton corridor, right, where a lot of the taller buildings are. Oh, I want just like a slightly step back, slower pace, but still have access to all that. That's the Skimmerhorn Livingston corridor. On the corridor. Burham Hill side. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you start going up by Barclays and you're in the cultural district, which is still downtown Brooklyn. You Four have higher side. rise, but you're like, you have. Fort Green, uh, half a block from you. You have Fort Green Park, half a block. It's just, it's what's really unique about this place. What do you say about critics of the aesthetics of a lot of these high rises that are going up? I would say 300 Ashland, the two trees development looks amazing. Some of the other buildings, let's say 333 is not the most aesthetically interesting <laughs> project, the hub. I mean, it's, a, it's cool, and I saw the pool deck actually yesterday. Look, I think, you know, you're going to have people, you're going to have developers who care deeply, deeply, deeply about architecture to the point where they're going to spend a lot more money on it than the average developer would. And not because the average developer like doesn't care. I think, I think everyone in downtown Brooklyn cares. And you know, it's all just a matter of opinion, right? Like some people think that it's a great building and some people don't. You know, it's New York, right? Like you're going to always have difference of opinion on aesthetics. Some people love the MTA building right behind you. Classic uh, embodiment of 1940s modernism, whatever, and other people say it is the biggest eyesore in the history of New York City. It's limestone. It's I think it's actually kind of a unique building when you when you think about it. So you know, I'm not going to comment on like people's personal perceptions of buildings. I think that what we're seeing is a, a citywide a greater emphasis on architecture. And I think one, it also differentiates the building, right? People will choose a building also based on what it looks like on the outside and also on what's on the inside. The new health center in Fulton is unbeautiful architecture. It's beautiful. And Francis Kaufman did a phenomenal job with that building. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to think that you have something that glassy so close to Fort Greene, right? Like literally almost, it's technically in Fort Greene. The style compared to BAM, it's like night and day, but it's it's, a nice addition. It works actually. It works really well because, you know, that's New York. Not every building is going to be a Pritzker, Mm. right? Pritzker prize winning building, right? And so you're going to have 
buildings that are made so people can get in and live in them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have made buildings to really step out and win awards. So in looking at where people are working, obviously the transportation options are amazing. Where I live, we're within three blocks of nine trains. Yep. We've got two bridges, can bike over them, got the water. Ferries now, unbelievable. 100 transit score, whatever Zillow ranks oh, this. Oh, it's sort of unbelievable. In, off the charts. In terms of where everyone actually has jobs and sort of typical demographic profile, an ordinary new person who's coming into one of these buildings at, let's say, Flatbush, Ashland, are they working in lower Manhattan? Right. Um, so it's something we're trying to figure out right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is so new. I mean, these buildings are two, three years old. So we're right. still trying to figure out who's in them. Mm-hmm. You can get a sense the subways are definitely a little busier. I think what's really unique is a lot of people who live here work down in Dumbo. They work in the Navy. There's a lot of people who live here work in Brooklyn. And they're, they're making that choice to walk to work. I mean, J.P. Morgan and Metrotech has 7,000 employees. Where that typically historically was back office, now it's not anymore. Like mo- a lot of those employees are frontline, like private wealth management people, investment people, you know, folks that would typically be on Park Avenue in Manhattan or Lower Manhattan. And so those folks are now saying, "This is great. If I'm a new, if I'm, I'm an entry level analyst, I'm going to go live in Ava Dobro or Ava whatever or 300 Ashland, and I can walk to work. I can walk to work. Cost of living is going to be that much better." You know, I have, a, I have a much I have an amazing commute. It's a little quieter. I have Fort Greene Park. I have Brooklyn. I can, if I want to go into like quote unquote hip Brooklyn, like I got the G right here, and G works great now. I can take the ferry. Dumbo's right down the hill. So I think we're seeing a lot of that. I think the real interesting component here is, and so, uh, Charlie O'Donnell, the venture capitalist, said this to me. We were talking about Brooklyn and what downtown Brooklyn really means for the borough. And I'm a born and raised in New York. I grew up in Manhattan, so I'm a little Manhattan-centric just by my parents are still up there. My wife, my family's up. It's just, you know, it's still – I've only lived in Brooklyn for seven years, right? So for right. me, like, the, I barely go in anymore. But this guy, Charlie O'Donnell, he lives in, in Bay Ridge. Mm. He said to me, why don't you move to Bay Ridge? I said, it's like an hour into mm. – are you kidding me? It's like I might as well move to Westchester. Right. And he's like, an hour to where, Andrew? And it's like an hour to Midtown. He goes, where do you work? You don't work in Midtown Manhattan. You work in downtown Brooklyn. It's a 25-minute subway ride. 20 on a good day. And he's like, and you're talking about you can buy a a house in Bay Ridge by the water. Like you can have this incredible – the schools are fantastic. And I think that's the real promise of, you know, a a central business district outside of Manhattan is that, you know, we talk a lot about affordability. And everyone said, okay, New York's only going to lose Amazon if the affordability thing comes into play. Well, if you headquarters yourself in downtown Brooklyn, all of a sudden – you have these deep outer boroughs that a lot of people forget are even part of New York City. Explain They're, the pitch for Amazon just uh, oh, the pitch. Where, the, where are we with that? How, how good is it looking? The city made four phenomenal choices on the neighborhoods that it's put. I think it's really smart. Well, there's four different ones. So, well, yeah, they submitted. I mean, this was public knowledge, right? They submitted four options for Amazon. There's Navy Yard, Dumbo. Well, it's, there's the Brooklyn Tech Triangle, which is us, the Dumbo, and the Navy Yard. There's Lower Manhattan, which is mostly around the World Trade Center. There's the Hudson Yards, Moynihan Station, right? That makes a lot of sense. And there's Long Island City. Each one has the space. Each one has like a very unique identity to itself. I think that the pitch for here, for the Brooklyn Tech Triangle, is that this is where the talent lives, right? Like this is where Amazon workforce will live regardless if they move to Lower Manhattan or Moynihan Station or Long Island City. This is where the talent's going to live. And, you know, Brooklyn has this incredible, not only, I mean, we look, NYU Tandon School of Engineering, we're looking at it right now. So this will be one of the top engineering schools in the country. NYU primary campus is an A ride, a 15-minute A train ride away. 
You can take the ferry up to Cornell. Education-wise, there's 66,000 college students and university students in downtown Brooklyn. We have Brooklyn Law School, one of the best law schools in the country right here. Amazon needs a lot of lawyers too. So what we can provide to them is unmatched. I mean, every neighborhood has a real unique perspective. And I think every neighborhood can provide great things. But you know, the one thing about Brooklyn though, is there's a hustle here. That's not new. Mm. You know, this entrepreneur thing is not a new thing. You know, we built a US Navy 10, you know, 10 minute walk away from here. Brooklyn used to brew 12% of the nation's beer. You know, this, this community, Brooklyn was always a really phenomenal hustling place. And you know, if Amazon wants to get to a trillion bucks, a trillion dollar valuation, market capitalization, they're, they're gonna hustle and they prove that they hustle and, and I think Brooklyn is the, the place for that, okay. for the capital of hustle. In terms of office space in downtown Brooklyn, I don't know if this has anything to do with Amazon, but it seems like only one of these new super tall buildings will be office space. You got the one behind Juniors. Is well, that that's actually gonna be residential. They're gonna have some, I think there's gonna be some office, but it's gonna be mostly residential. That's 72 or 73 Right, stories. right, yeah. the, on, on part of the Williamsburg Savings Bank. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. it's gonna be an incredible skinny. building. Pretty skinny, I think. Skinny, yeah. but I, it, well, shopper, I mean, JDS has a long history styling, of architecture. Right. Styling. Yeah, you know, Michael Stern, like he said, look, he's building the tallest building in Brooklyn, and, and unless things change the zoning, it's going to be the tallest Brooklyn for building in Brooklyn for a long time. So he owes it to his grandkids to build the, one of the best looking buildings in New York City. And I think it will be. Shop Architects is one of the greatest architects in New York City based. Great. They're right over the river. And so juniors can stay where it is. Juniors just. can stay where it is. God bless Alan Rosen. There's actually 3 million square feet plus of office in the pipeline. So you have a building right out next to Willoughby Square Park that's co-developed between Forest City and JEMB. That's going to be an office tower. The Alloy Development's gonna have some office in it. Of course, some buildings over Pacific Park will have some office in it. Uh, Savannah, which is on the old tech school on right across from City Point, uh, on Flatbush and Gold, that triangular mm-hmm. lot there, that'll have some office in it. There's gonna be, a, 41 Flatbush has office, the Hotel Trades Building has office. Okay. So there's, there is a lot of office product in the pipeline, and I think that's really good because we have a historic low. And people want to be here. You know, people are sniffing around. Big companies are sniffing around here, and we got to have the right type of office product to get them here. In terms of affordability, I guess this is more residential space than office space. What percentage of the new development is affordable? What do you say to folks who have a problem with the fact that a lot of people are getting priced out? Right. Well, I think that you know the interesting thing is that. It's hard. You can't say people are getting priced out of downtown Brooklyn because there weren't people really that many people living here before, yeah, right? Mostly correct. Right. So it's like that argument. I, I get it though. This is a this is a problem of affordability across New York City and across any major urban center right now, right? Because people want to live in cities again. They don't want to live out in the burbs. They want to live here. They want to and stay here. They don't want to just have their first kid and then leave. They want to stay here and raise their family. That's why you have to build more, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like we. It's a simple. But I think people are getting priced out on the smaller scale blocks, sort of around the periphery. Right. So you're of starting downtown. to get you're starting towards to get Brooklyn, it's towards Burham Hill, a couple of other. You're places. starting to get a ripple effect, yeah. and I think part of it, one is build more, mm-hmm. right? And I think this administration is doing something very smart with the mandatory inclusionary housing, right? You have now thirty percent in a rezone that's very important. All told, you know, downtown Brooklyn doesn't have mandatory affordable housing. It was built, you know, it was rezoned in a much different time period. And the purpose of that rezoning was for commercial development, not for residential development. You know, it was post 9-11. We were scared that we were going to lose all those kind of back office jobs to Connecticut, New Jersey. And so they wanted to build kind of a back office, dense urban environment. 
So the rezoning was really focused on that. Who would have known in the year 2001 that we would have had all this residential? You just didn't know. And I think now everyone's like, wow, there's an opportunity here, right? Like people do want to live in downtown. There's still plenty of places to build. Let's try and work that out. Especially with the L being out of commission. With the L being out of commission. I think just people wanting to be in Brooklyn as well. And the lack of development in a lot of other places in Brooklyn, right? Like you can't really develop in Cobble Hill. Right? It's a historic district. You can't develop in Brooklyn Heights. So those prices will always go up because you're creating scarcity. So I think one, you know, downtown Brooklyn all said and done will be about 25% affordable right now. I'm hoping that we all hope that will go up, especially if there's some mandatory inclusionary stuff that comes down the pipe. You know, in the areas surrounding it, you're by the Navy Yard where there's starting to be a lot of you know, a lot of talk about residential development, that there's a huge opportunity there. I think, and you're seeing developers really including the affordable in it now, especially in downtown Brooklyn, 20%, even folks that don't have to, they're not required to, they're doing it. So I think there's going to be a surge of affordable housing development down here. But again, the more product you build, prices start to drop. And so the more product we can have across the board, that will hopefully depress prices or lower them just a little bit. The irony. Infrastructure, we have so much growth in the neighborhood, so many new buildings. How do we not overwhelm the roads, the subways, just look at Flatbush. It's such an impossible traffic funnel and there's so many buildings and trucks and how do we maintain people's sanity and just get them around moving without just right. gridlock? Well, you saw yesterday uh, or this morning, yesterday, the mayor announced his five-point plan to fight congestion, which I think is a great start. You know, the governor's talking about congestion pricing. People have known about this issue. They witness this issue every day, but it's starting to be some real movement here on that issue. You know, downtown Brooklyn is a really unique place for a variety of reasons because it's just so busy. You know, the Department of Transportation has always let, we just tested a shared street concept on Willoughby to pedestrianize things a little bit further over there. Like Broadway through Times Square to Herald Square, that type of Not really, more of like the Scandinavian model of cars and people share the street together. So, you know, the city's constantly looking at downtown Brooklyn about, okay, we have all this transit. How do we do it? You know, you're also seeing developers, if they don't have to put garages in their buildings, they don't because they realize a lot of other people don't have cars. You know, we've constantly been talking with all these new car sharing companies, ReachNow, the Mercedes one, Zipcar, all these different things about how, how can we work with you? How can we test things down here to kind of alleviate car ownership and put more people into one cars? Chariot, which is the Ford-owned transit startup, they're running up and down. All It's like the dollar van for the tech set. So Where do you those have an app? go? I haven't heard about it. It runs through Brooklyn, but mostly the neighborhoods that have a lot of kind of the startup yeah. jobs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's another thing. So they, that supplements the G train, right, to move people north-south along. And, and then you have the BQX. The BQX plan. Is that going to happen? Tremendous. The mayor said it's going to happen. It's going to start construction in 2020. So. I would love to see that, but my issue is it will go pretty slowly, and the time that it'll take to get you from Sunset Park all the way to Astoria will not be a huge improvement over the time now. And it's a relatively small number of people. And what I realized from the mistake that the city made with the ferries being quite low capacity is that our subway system is unbelievable in the sense that it moves such a massive amount of massive people, people so quickly. 100%. And any other means of transportation, pale in comparison. And it's just sort of, it's fun. It's kind of touristy. Developers love it. But impact in terms of moving bodies... Well, I think if if you look at it less from, okay, I live in a story, I'm going to go down to Sunset Park, and more as like, I live in Williamsburg, and I want to get to the Navy Yard. Sure. I live in downtown Brooklyn, and I want to get to Red, Red Hook. Red Hook. Right? I live in Sunset Park, and I want to get to downtown Brooklyn. Sure. It becomes a real viable mode of transportation, right? Like, And yeah, I think you're going to have people like, okay, it's Sunday, it's nice, I'm going to go hop on the, tra- I'm going to go hop on the streetcar, mm-hmm. 
and spend the day like tooling up and down the Brooklyn Queens waterfront, I think that's a great supplement. But here's the thing. Nothing is going to solve our transit issues until we figure out how to make it so it doesn't cost a billion dollars a kilometer to build more subways, right? Like that's, that's just the key thing. So until then, everything we do will be helpful. Like that will be helpful. That's an America issue, not a downtown. Yeah, of course, issue. right? Like here's the thing. Like the streetcar is going to be helpful. It's going to alleviate a little bit of congestion. It's, okay. it's going to take away a little bit of congestion on the G train. It's going to take away a little bit of congestion on the ferries. You know, it's going to take a little bit of congestion away on the buses. So it's going to just start to balance things out. Is it going to be, you know, the silver bullet? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, there, it's a whole different ball game here. And that involves much bigger, someone with a much higher picker than all, you know me or anyone in this room. <laughs> it also is a signaling event, right? Because if it works, if it's popular, and you said, okay, look, there's a way to do this for not a lot of money, quickly and without having to go through this kind of arcane planning process that might be really difficult to achieve digging under the ground can we do these kind of shorter mode point-to-point transportations i think you know the idea is again is that we need to decentralize new york city right. it has to be less about everyone flowing into manhattan and more about living and working where you live seems like an elevated may make sense because that way you don't have to reroute all of the Utilities underneath the streets because it's That's really difficult simple. to do. I mean, and look, it really works in other countries. Like, you look at, forget Vienna, where you have these like bucolic trans lines running on cobbles. Look at Melbourne, right? Melbourne is a city of 4 million people. It's going to surpass Sydney soon as the highest. And 4 million people is a lot. Like that's one of the biggest cities in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Hands down. It's like New York City. The development in Melbourne is under, it's off the charts what's with building there. And you have a, a, a CBD trans system that's free in the Central Business District. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like a one line going up and down. It is like a legit transit system. And to see what they've been able to do there and continue to add capacity to that in a very simple way, it cuts down on traffic, the amount of people it moves very quickly. But again, it's a point-to-point system. It's not like, oh, I'm going to take this for an hour out to another community. No, it's in concert with everything else, right? So as someone who was visiting Melbourne for work, it was, ama- it was a godsend to me. I can hop on this thing and go, I don't know where I'm going, and go 10 blocks in this direction for free or a buck. Amazing. Two bucks. I mean, that's kind of where the, I think, you know, what they're trying to test out with the BQX. With the BQX, I love the idea in principle. I'm just a little concerned about the route. I still haven't wrapped my head around how do you promote waterfront development in a city in a borough where the waterfront wasn't always prioritized. And so all the transit connections are pretty much inland. So you want it to go along the water to promote new development along the waterfront. Yeah. But to connect up with existing transit lines, it has to be inland. So how do you navigate that sort of go back to the water, then back inland? And- <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I think what, you know, I'm going to leave it to the folks at EDC and the DOT to yeah. figure out the line. Yeah. You have people who are living near the waterfront who don't necessarily need to go inland. Right, like the job that they're going to might be on the waterfront as well. If it's in Dumbo, mm-hmm. if it's kind of at the Navy Yard or in Williamsburg, like you know, there's a lot. If you look at that over by the Wythe Hotel, what's mm-hmm. happening over there? You know, Toby Moskowitz is building the first large commercial project in Williamsburg slash Greenpoint. You have all this other commercial being developed around there, whether it's light manufacturing or straight up commercial. That's turning into a bit of a commercial hub. That's not inland. Mm-hmm. You know, they're placing a bed on where mm-hmm. people are going to live and work. Mm-hmm. But then if you go far enough, you go to where the actual – like if you think about where else you need to go, if you get to downtown Brooklyn, A, F are right but a block from the waterfront. Mm-hmm. So that transit connection will be a couple feet, mm-hmm. right? You go down and then you go in places that doesn't even have it, Red Hook. Red so Hook. who That's cares where it is, is, right? Like, And then the idea is you know, you're thinking about where the city bikes are. 
right? So are you making that connection? I think that's the idea is that people need to start they're, – they're betting on this idea that people are going to think about this transit system as completely unified. So I'm taking a subway somewhere. Then I'm going to hop on and take a city bike. And then I might hop on the BQX. Then I might take the tram. Then I might take an Uber, right? It's all going to be – it's New York, right? You're always going to need some other form of transportation, whether it's you walking or jumping on a bike, to get to the final destination. It's a piece of a pie. It's not a silver bullet because nothing is, right? So I think that it's a really unique and forward – thinking way of addressing a major transit issue. Any single big new project that you'd like to highlight for our listeners that's coming up in the neighborhood, something in the near future, distant future, right. tech conference, uh, something else? Well, yeah, a couple things. You know, one, I think Willoughby Square Park, you know, that's going to be a really big deal for this community. That's right next to Metro Tech and right next to Decat, right next to City Point. Um, you know, hopefully that, that broke ground, that's moving along. Yeah. We're going to see that built over the next two years. So really phenomenal project that's going to add a, a really tremendous piece of open space. I think some of the schools that are being built, you know, in the Forest City JMB building right next to the park, there's going to be an elementary school there for the community. That's great. I think that's very exciting. This NYU Tandon School of Engineering, I mean, this is a game changer for this neighborhood. It just is a tremendous game changer for the, for the economy of the neighborhood, but also for the jobs. Because you're going to have companies wanting to set up shop here because of this talent here. And of course, the cultural district. Once that's all done and you have all these incredible cultural organizations there, I mean, there was always a vibrancy, but it's just going to, it's just a game changer. It really is. And I think that once you see a lot of these construction sites done and open, I mean, there will always be construction in New York City. You know, downtown Brooklyn is just going to be this vibe. I mean, it already is vibe, but it's just going to be a different. People are just going to blow their socks off. It really is going to knock their socks off. And people are going to find that there's going to be something for everybody here, whether they've been coming here for 30 years or lived here for 30 years or they just got here from wherever or they're a tourist from Japan. It's just going to be – it's just a unique community and I think that everyone's going to love it even more than they do now when all this is said and done. I mean I love the neighborhood just because it's so convenient. You can walk to everything, take some kind of, kind of transit to yeah. something else. Um, and it's just so close to Manhattan, yet you're in Brooklyn and you're fundamentally – Manhattan is not where I want to live at this juncture, yeah. so it's Brooklyn. It really does. I mean, I find myself, I live in Brooklyn Heights. I work in downtown Brooklyn. It is rare I go into Manhattan anymore. On the weekends, I don't. I, I spend most of my time in Brooklyn Bridge Manhattan Park. Manhattan's tired. Manhattan, <laughs> you know, I, I love Manhattan. I always love Manhattan. But it becomes, to me, it's like, it's a destination now. It's not a part of my everyday life. And I think that's what's really unique about downtown Brooklyn is that it provides for Brooklyn anything you need in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You can just stay in your own borough now. It's true that downtown Brooklyn is Manhattanized, but it's still Brooklyn. It's still Brooklyn, and I think that's our overarching goal is how do we make sure downtown Brooklyn stays Brooklyn. That is our success, and that's what we're going to hang our hats on. Right. Cool. Well, Andrew Kalish, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is fun. Brooklyn. Come host. and visit us again. Excellent. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how everything evolves in the neighborhood. There's so many different changes taking place that it's hard to keep track. I don't know how you do it, but it's a phenomenal (laughs) uh, place to live. And as far as New York City goes, I can't imagine a better place to be at the moment. So You said it better than me. Excellent. (laughs) Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks, Andrew.